Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the third day of October. I'm your host, Paul White. As we begin a new week, I hope that you are at rest in the free favor of God. I hope that you are at work in your rest. I know that's those two don't always seem to go together, but they should to children of the Lord because we are at rest in His finished work, and then we are at work on the earth as His children. Work as sons, not as servants, not as slaves. And so as you go forth today to do whatever it is that you do, do it as unto the Lord. And I think that in that you will see blessings, favor, and prosperity touch your hand. We are spending the month of October with the Apostles' Creed. The last two days, we have introduced why we're doing this. And then yesterday, we actually read the Creed gave you a few thoughts and some things to chew on a little bit. I hope that over the last two days, you've had some time to think about taking this journey with us, a journey of trust, a journey of questioning, a journey just to get information and then see what to do with it, and then ultimately a journey through the the statements of the creed itself to see what do they mean to us from a theological standpoint. I'd like to dedicate the body of today's podcast to looking at the origin of the creed, where it came from, um, a little bit of its early purpose, and and how that shaped Christian thought. Uh, It's not until really the the 15th century, right before the Protestant Reformation, so we're, we're talking probably late 1400s, that a lot of scholars began to actually question the origins of the creed. It had just been part of the body of Christ for so long. Um, But even then, it took about 200 years of scholarship. It's the middle of the 17th century before we get any real conclusion uh, over the, the real origins. And so here's what we really have on that basis. We know that the origins of the creed can be traced back about as far as the middle of the second century. And that's uh, where there was a formula called the R. Most scholars call it the R. And that was a and the reason they call it the R, literally the letter R, is because it was a, a creed that was used in Rome, in the Roman church. And the essential outline of that was found as far away as North Africa and Gaul. Uh, the writings seem to be pretty universal. So we're we're way back in the second century. So just for context, um, the Apostle John dies right around the beginning of the second century. And so you're looking at the next generation from the last of Jesus' disciples who start to use a sort of uniform creed. And the basic structure of that are, and then what becomes known as the Apostles' Creed, was always in connection with water baptism. Um, and it came out of that biblical formula from the book of Matthew in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And thus the creed starts to break into three parts, one referring to each person of the Trinity. So there's a part of the creed in reference to the Father or God. There's a reference to Jesus, the Son, and then there's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And as we'll learn as we go through this, um, the section referring to Jesus, the Son, is much more detailed than the sections referring to the Father and the Holy Spirit. The earliest form of the R Creed, what would become the Apostles' Creed, seems to have been 
uh, interrogatory. It was asked. It was always presented as in the form of a question. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe that he died, descended? And so these questions were asked to people who were at the point of baptism. It was sort of your introduction to Christianity and, and whether or not you said yes or no. Now, of course, to get to the waters of baptism, you're inquisitive. You're saying yes. And at least by the fourth century, uh, the creed had evolved to the high point of preparation for baptism. Um, in other words, it was taught to people before they completely decided to accept or reject Christianity. And only whenever they decided to accept was where, where the questions then ask, okay, do you believe this? You've been taught this. Now, do you believe this? And thus, the creed by the fourth century becomes the salvation prayer. What This is what's interesting to me is that I was raised in, a, in church cultures that had the sinner's prayer as a sacrosanct part of their service. You couldn't touch that. That had to be done as if it were in the Bible, as if it connected to church history. It's not in the Bible. And yet those same churches would have laughed at or scoffed or considered it to be too high church to recite the creed. And the creed has far more roots than, say, the sinner's prayer. But it's we're doing essentially the same thing. It's just that with the creed, it is there's a uniformity to it that is couched in theology, whereas in the sinner's prayer... Um, and I'm not saying there was no uniformity to the sinner's prayer, but it was usually at the whim of the speaker. It was how they prayed the sinner's prayer, which tilted towards there being less uniformity into what it, what that sinner's prayer looked like. I don't think it has to be a, a vocalized prayer either way, but I'm, I'm just stating the facts for you so that there can be an understanding of what we're talking about. And so then several centuries in, we've got people standing in the waters of baptism rather um, further affirming their faith by reciting the creed. And so then when they're asked, do you believe in, they could recite the creed back. And that was the reception of Christ. Then we get to the middle of the fourth century and the empire enters the game. This is where the Roman empire declares its Christianity to be the state religion. Empire and society at large basically becomes Christian, at least in name, um, you can make a really good argument that there's no real Christianity involved in that, but that's probably for another argument. And they baptize every single infant practically in the Roman Empire into Christianity. And therefore, around the fourth century, the creed became less important as a theological lesson because you can't teach an infant the creed. So people were getting baptized into the faith without reciting the creed. You can't teach a baby to recite the creed or understand the creed. And at, from that point on, late 4th century, the creed became what it is for many people today, just a declaration of faith in the church. It had little or no connection to the baptism. And so now, about 1,600 years later, it is not unusual to come to Christ in the waters of baptism and not recite the creed. And you can, you can thank that, <laughs> if that's thankworthy. Uh, on the fact that the Roman Empire was baptizing babies like crazy and the creed couldn't be connected to salvation. And so that's how it started, and that's how it sort of evolved into what we know as the creed today. Tomorrow, I want to talk about the purpose of the creed, and I want to talk about uh, the universal usage of the creed. And we're going to get into it as a statement of faith, maybe not tomorrow, but certainly before the week is out. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.